You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Buenos dias. I'm going to start this deal off with a story my mom was telling me on Facebook. Um, and because I'm a teenage boy, I got about half of it. The other half was lost in translation. Um, so the premise is, a mom goes into a store with her, with her oldest son and her toddler. The baby is crying consistently, but then the older brother gives him a glow stick. The baby stops crying, all's good. And then the older brother takes the glow stick, and the baby cries more. Then the oldest brother get, breaks the glow stick and gives it back to the baby. The baby, fascinated by the chemical reaction, just is happy. He found a new toy. Sometimes it takes being broken to become what you were made to be. Another example is a diamond. For a diamond to become a diamond, a bunch of carbon atoms have to be formed into a tetrahedral structure. Don't ask me what that is, because I have no idea. But to be forced into this structure, it has to go through immense amounts of pressure and extreme heat. But after, it becomes the hardest, strongest, and arguably one of the prettiest minerals. Another example is David. Everyone knows that he had to fight Goliath, but what isn't as known is that he had to fight things to build his faith in order to fight Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 35, it says, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took the lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and I smote him. And I delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. God had to put David through tribulation to build his faith so he could have the faith to face Goliath. Why did I put a tongue twister in this deal? I don't, I don't know. 1 Samuel seventeen thirty seven says, David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. Much like that diamond, that poor glow stick, and David, we have to go through trials and tribulations to become what we're meant to be. Ooh. Okay, another verse is 1 Peter 1.7, saying, That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, your faith being tested is more valuable than gold. Because while this world and the tribulations you face in it will fade away, the work that God has put in you never does. Jesus says in John sixteen thirty three, These things I have spoken unto you, that in, ye may, in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus already beat the world, trials and tribulation included. I'm going to close this off with a quote from an unknown source, and it says, God doesn't give his hardest battles to his strongest soldiers, but makes his strongest soldiers from the toughest battles. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right, so, uh, yeah, the young folks can be dismissed to their classes. Connor, I believe, will be doing a devotional next week. Is that right, Connor? All right, he's pretty enthused. Uh, hey, um, you know, hey, give a devotion, you know, work on a devotion uh, to where with, with I'd, I'd love the men to be doing some devotions, too. Uh, but then I guess I leave the ball in the court of men a little bit more. I may say something just general like, hey, I'd love some guys to do some devotions. Uh, but uh, I'll let you be, maybe decide that a little bit more to where I kind of sometimes decide for the, the, the younger guys just to challenge them a little bit. Uh, but uh, but that's a great point. Go to first, uh, not first John, but the Gospel of John, chapter number one. The Gospel of John, chapter number one. And while you're turning over there, I just want to say it's a great devotion by Blake. 
Uh, and they, they call, it's, it just, but it reminded me as he was going through that, the wisdom of God and how that God puts, you in, puts us in the right circumstances. Um, there's a, there's a, a layer in which diamonds are generally found uh, around the earth. Anybody know what it's called? It's called the, what, what is it? The diamond, the diamond layer or the diamond belt uh, is what it's called. Because what it is, is there's a place where the pressure was just right. Uh, you know, on one side, there's not enough to create a diamond. Too much, it just pulverizes and goes into something else. Um, you know, that's, it was, there was a study done by a biologist uh, uh, a few years back, and uh, they, were, uh, they were studying about a couple of different things. One was studying about uh, in forests, like rainforests, why some rainforests had more diversity and more life and more beauty than other sections or parts of the rainforest or whatever. Uh, but what they found was that uh, there would be a place uh, in a rainforest to where they would find just all this beautiful diversity that have more animals, more growth and whatever. And they'd start looking around and they'd realize that one of the trees had maybe been struck by lightning or maybe there'd been a small patch of fire. Um, and there was just enough uh, pressure, there was just enough tribulation, there was just enough trouble to make diversity. Now they'd go to other places to where a bunch of trees had been cleared out and that just, that had the opposite effect. It, it just, you know, wasn't as diverse, wasn't as beautiful or a place to where it's been closed in for so long, same thing. But on the just right scale, uh, kind of the Goldilocks uh, scale is where there's the most beauty. And it's the same thing with coral reefs. If you've ever, uh, you know, have you, coral reefs are beautiful. You know, the Great Barrier Reef is known as uh, probably one of the more beautiful, the, the, the largest. Uh, there's a lot of reefs in the ocean, but not all of them have the same beauty and diversity. Uh, and it's the ones that have uh, just enough tribulation and trouble from storms and storms out at sea and so forth, waves crashing, uh, that have the most diversity. But if they're into where they don't get enough, they don't have a lot of life or beauty. If they're out too far, they don't have a... But they get in the, the just right spot. And I'm, what I'm just trying to say all that is to say this. God knows how to get you in just the right spot. And sometimes it may feel like you're taking on too much or you have too much pressure to Blake's devotional point. Uh, you have too much going on. But the fact of the matter is there's a God in heaven that knows exactly what He's doing uh, because it does take a lot of pressure to create a diamond. It does take a lot of turmoil to create a beautiful reef um, but ultimately God has it balanced out and it may not feel like it but the Bible says that God will not uh, allow you to be tempted above that which you're able and so he will give grace in that so just just my mind got to thinking as uh, Blake was teaching and preaching there a little bit ago I thought he did a wonderful job and as much of his family's here I know they're awfully proud of him and I something else I couldn't think my mind is uh, as we go into this, uh, as we, we're getting ready to close out the new year and everything, so my mind's on a lot of that stuff, and while I'm on that thought, by the way, I just want to, I want to challenge uh, the leaders, teachers, and things like that. I want you to be thinking, uh, because we're going to share some of these things uh, going into the new year, but I want you to be thinking about some of the accomplishments and things that, we, that you've seen God do, uh, maybe in your ministry, your class, your uh, whatever it may be. Uh, and then also be thinking about your vision for the upcoming year. But as I, so my mind's kind of on those things. Then I was just thinking, how much of a blessing is that? Uh, we didn't even, uh, this time last year, we didn't even know who Blake Larson was, did we? Uh, but just uh, the way the Lord's brought him in and just, uh, just uh, and his family's here, give so much credit to them, but give credit to the Lord for what he's done in, uh, done in his life. And then just to be up here uh, I get, I'm so proud of our guys when they get up here and give these devotions. You're like, man, you know, that's something like a guy that's been preaching for 10, 20 years would give, you know. Uh, maybe not quite the confidence in, you know, being up here and everything, but if you listen to the content, you're just like, wow, there's really something there. So uh, that's super exciting. All right. The Gospel of John, and we're going to uh, be looking at... Um, Really, a principle that you'll find throughout the Bible, it's really uh, something that's emphasized at Christmas. I won't be having a lot of time to preach today, but the little bit of time that I do preach today, or the devotion I give, or whatever you want to call it, later in the service, is going to be based on this same principle. But I want to look at it in a broader sense here in the Gospel of John, chapter number 1. The Bible says, in verse number 1, 
Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that sounds unusual to us to say the Word, and we, we don't think of a word, number one, being capitalized, the, 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 the word word. <laughs> um, but the Word was with God, the Word was God. And we'll find out in a minute, this Word that's been spoken of here is Jesus Christ. When God had something to say to mankind, it's Jesus. Amen? He's the answer. He's the Word. He's God's Word to mankind. The Bible says the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, this is what I'm really going to be focusing on today. In Him was life, and the life was the what? Light. The life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Again, you'll notice light being capitalized there. That all men through him might believe. He was not that light, speaking of John the Baptist. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Verse number 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Speaking of the nation of Israel specifically. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, as Christians, we don't just celebrate many of the holidays that we celebrate as Christians. Uh, By the way, there is not not an ordained holiday, by the way, in the Word of God that as New Testament believers that we must recognize or celebrate. Um, We have traditions, uh, but as far as biblically speaking, we are not mandated that we must celebrate Christmas, or even that we must celebrate uh, Easter in the way that we do, or res- the Resurrection Day in the way that we do. Uh, the fact of the matter is, we celebrate the Resurrection uh, on a daily basis. As a church, we celebrate it on a weekly basis. When we meet together upon the first day of the week, uh, we're doing that in remembrance of the Resurrection. Uh, when we think about Christmas as, as, as Bible believers... Christmas is very broad to us, and I say that because the verses I just read to you are Christmas verses, but we don't think about them as Christmas verses because it's not Luke chapter 2 where the Bible says, you know, it gives, gives the wonderful and beautiful story about when Jesus was born as a baby and it's emphasizing uh, uh, all that, that, that wonderful part. But John isn't emphasizing that. Matthew didn't emphasize the birth as much, but he did make sure to bring uh, an account when Jesus was uh, probably about a toddler, when the wise men came. Of course, we know that that didn't take place in the, um, you know, w- with the, um, uh, in the manger and everything. Uh, and, and, and by the way, just so you know what I'm, so I'm not talking blasphemous there, uh, the Bible says there in the book of Matthew, when the wise men came, uh, for one thing, the Bible says when they came, they came and they saw, not the baby, but does anybody remember what it dis- the distinction is? The young child. Not the baby, but the young child. And instead of saying they came to a stable and a manger, the Bible says they came and saw the young child in the house. And furthermore, when, if you'll remember, the wise men first were kind of intercepted by Herod, and Herod said, he he inquired, when did you first see this star? When did you first see this star? 
And whatever information that Herod received from the wise men, it was upon that that he made his decision when he was going to kill all of the babies in Bethlehem, what was the age that he chose? Remember? Two years and under. Two years and under. Uh, now, not a big deal. If you've, got, if you've got wise men in your manger scene, I'm not telling you to junk it, amen? I'm just saying that there, there's a different emphasis there. And really the emphasis of Matthew was the fact that he's the king. The issue of Mark is that he's the, the servant who came to give his life. Uh, the, the, the emphasis of Luke is that he's the man that came to bear our sorrows. And Lord Willem will be preaching about that next week. The emphasis of John uh, is the fact that he is God in the flesh. But when we're talking about Christmas, we're just simply talking about the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, this time of year, depending on your background, you know, if you have a Protestant Catholic background, you, you know the term Advent. Uh, I didn't grow up learning or knowing the word Advent, but Advent just simply means coming. Uh, so we, the, the first Advent, the first coming of Christ is what we're celebrating. And this is what John is highlighting, but he's highlighting a few, uh, a, a theme that follows throughout the Word of God, folks, and it is this. There is a battle between light and darkness from the very beginning. From the very beginning, there is a, a battle between light and darkness. Folks, when man sinned in the garden... Man and God were separated because of sin. And when, when, when God and man were separated, darkness came in to man. And you could see that following out. Now God continually is trying to get light to the world from that point on, and He promises light. Genesis 3 is the very first promise, by the way. Uh, the very first promise of Christmas is found in Genesis 3, when the Bible says that that the, the seed of the woman, that a, that a woman is going to give birth to a child that's going to bruise the head of Satan. So right there in Genesis 3, isn't that awesome? In Genesis 3, God promised that a woman was going to give birth to a son, and that son was going to be used to defeat Satan himself. And by the way, that's also the reason, if you'll keep that in mind, why God uh, had... Uh, Abel, but then Satan tried to use Cain to kill Abel. Because as Satan looked at that, because he didn't say, you know, in 4,000 years, 5,000 years from now is when this is going to happen. He just said it's going to happen. So that's why Satan has always been a murderer. And that's why you'll find out another theme throughout the Bible if you'll pay attention. And hopefully you'll get into the Bible more this coming year. It's a good time to get started. Um, but uh, you'll find that, God, that Satan's always trying to put a stop to that seed. He's trying to always put a stop. He's using man to do so, but he's always trying to kill that promised line. But God will not be deterred as He brings light. And so light in the Scripture is a wonderful picture of the Word of God. I, I won't be able to give you everything about light today, uh, in full disclosure, what I've got in my notes anyway uh, was inspired by a, me a message I heard from Adrian Rogers. And I would encourage you to go listen to that message, uh, Jesus is the Light of the World by Adrian Rogers. That's, that's what the bulk of my notes is. Um, and, and then I'll just go ahead and get into those today. A couple of interesting things about light today and how that it pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, number one, light is pure. You know, light can never be corrupted. If there was something in here really dirty today, uh, if I just had a big pile of mud or something in here today, I could take the purest water possible, pour it on that mud, and it's not going to be long to where that water is no longer going to be pure. But if you take pure light and shine it on that same mud, the mud doesn't corrupt the light. You can put light on the worst things possible. You can put light on cancer. And the light is not corrupted by the cancer. It just simply shows the cancer. See, light is incorruptible. Light is pure. And I want to say that the Lord Jesus Christ, being the light of the world, Jesus Christ is pure. Jesus Christ is undefiled. One of the uh, well-known elements of the ancient world was leprosy. Um, and... 
in the tradition, in the practices concerning people with leprosy is you didn't touch people with leprosy. And people with leprosy were forbidden to touch other people. All right? Because it was so highly contagious that people just tried to avoid it altogether. Uh, but here's the thing. Matter of fact, and, and you'll see this throughout the Bible too, but it was, it was customary for, in, in the Bible for somebody with leprosy, if they had leprosy, if, if someone else was approaching, for them to cover their mouths and cover their mouths and to, and to cry out, unclean, unclean, you know, stay away from me. You don't want to get what I got. But Jesus came, He's the light. And He was able to go, and not only was He able to get close to lepers, He was able to touch the lepers and heal the lepers. And guess what? And leprosy in the Bible also is a picture of sin and its destructive nature. But you think about it. When Jesus, Jesus touches sinners, folks, Jesus don't get the sin. The sinner gets His righteousness, amen? Because He's the light. He's incorruptible. He's pure. He is the pure, sinless Son of God. He is God in the flesh. He is light. The Bible says in uh, John that He was in the world, but folks, I want to tell you, He was not of the world. And so since He's not of this world, He is pure, incorruptible light. Jesus was the only person who could look others in the face and say this, John eight forty six. The Bible says, uh, which of you convicts me of sin? Jesus was able to look at his enemies and say to them, if there's any sin that you can find in me, I want you to point it out right now. Which of you convicts me of sin? Now, I wouldn't say that to my best friend, much less my enemies, right? Because we're sinful people. Even at our very best, we're sinful people. But uh, Jesus Christ is not sinful. Uh, if you're still there in the book of John, flip over with me to chapter number 8. And if, if you read the Gospel of John, and if you read the epistles of John, I want you to pay attention to the two words, light and life. Because they're two words that are themes of the Apostle John. And I'll say while we're here, while you're turning to John 8, that John, was, the Gospel of John, this is John the Apostle. Uh, not to be confused with the aforementioned John the Baptist uh, that we read about earlier. Um, but look with me, if you will, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12. Can I get a volunteer to read that, please? John 8, 12. All right, thank you, Emily. Amen. Beautiful verse, isn't it? I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. Could, could I get a uh, somebody to skip down to verse number 23 and read verse 23 for me? Danny. All right. Um, and then, uh, then I'll just I'll read to you John 12, 46. Jesus said, I am come a light into the world. And whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Before I get too much further into uh, these particular notes, I want to I share with you some notes that will be in, our, uh, you know, in, the, in the message later. Looking forward to the program, by the way, and the singing and everything today. Uh, exciting time. But in Isaiah chapter 9, this is a verse that's repeated uh, a couple of different times in the New Testament as far as the theme of light and darkness goes. I'm real excited to share it with you today. I'm not going to preach it to you now because I'm going to try to preach it to you later. But it's cool. Uh, another famous Christmas verse is Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Uh, you know, the government shall be upon his shoulders. He shall be the, the prince of peace and wonderful and the counselor and the mighty God and so forth. Um, but you know, a, a good hint in studying the Bible, for instance, is just like that verse there that I just read in Isaiah. A wonderful, beautiful verse that we hear a lot this time of year. But it says, for unto us a child is born. That word for ought to make us pause for a second. Because it's saying, kind of like, therefore. It's saying that because of whatever was just said, a child is born. And a son is given. 
And by the way, what's one of the cool distinctions between, as far as time, there's a time stamp or time distinction in Isaiah 9, verse 6 too. Anybody uh, remember that uh, kind of cool distinction in Isaiah 9, 6? And I, I, I may not be asking that very well, but unto us a child is born. What is that referencing? Yeah, the, the, the birth of Christ. I mean, so it's referencing the baby being born. But it's not being redundant when it says, unto us a son is given. It's not saying again, a son is born, a son is born. It's saying a child is born, it's saying a son is given. So, between born and unto us, there's about a 33 and a half year gap. Which tells us what? Unto us a son is given... John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Alright? Uh, colon. Alright? So between the colon and the and, uh, and the government should be upon His shoulder, that's a period we don't know exactly how long. Because we're still living in that period, that, that little space right there. But that space is some 2,000 years. Because the government shall be upon His shoulder... And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. If you went to the next verse, which you don't have to do, because we'll... But it says, uh, and, and, and of the increase of His government, there shall be no end. Oh, there we go. Uh, and upon the throne of David and upon the kingdom to order. In other words, there's, there's something really important eschatologically speaking about that. And it's one of the reasons why there's a, there's a theological word called, called premillennialism. Uh, and this is a good premillennial verse, which is just to say this. Jesus Christ has not yet set up His throne and is ruling on this earth, but He's going to. And He's, but he's, and he's going to return before He sets up that kingdom, okay? But here's a very, very interesting thing. There's a lot of people, it's, 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 it blows my mind because there's, depending on the type of church you grew up in or whatever, not everybody believes the rest of Isaiah, 9-6 to be literal. But they believe literally that a child was born. They literally believe that a son was given. But then all of a sudden they think it goes into something else that just maybe it's Christ ruling in our hearts or whatever. And the reason some people never hear about Jesus Christ actually returning to the earth is that there's people that don't believe that's going to happen that way. Uh, but just as literal as a child was born, just as literal as a son was given, is just as literal that Jesus Christ really is coming back. And before He comes back to set up His kingdom, there will be a period of seven years of tribulation at the very least uh, before He comes back to set up that kingdom. And before He does that, He's going to call His church away. Those that have put their faith and trust in Christ will be called out before the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, okay? So I'm just saying that, I said all that to say that the four in Isaiah 9, 6, okay? Four unto us a child is born, goes all the way back at least into chapter 8 of Isaiah. And I'll share this with you later, but it's just talking about this, how men are living in darkness. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the Bible goes on to say, uh, for unto, give, give me that verse, Nathan, if you would, please. Uh, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. That is the prelude of, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. In other words, the reason Jesus was born, the reason He was given, the reason He's coming again, is because people are in darkness. So God comes, Jesus Christ comes as the pure light. So Jesus is a pure light, Jesus is a constant light. In the natural world, there's one constant, and one constant is the speed of light. Albert Einstein said that the reason he was able to construct his famous theory of relativity was because there's one thing in the world that's constant, the speed of light. Everything else is relative. And I'm not going to go all into uh, that theory, but basically the speed of light, 186 uh, you know, 186, 100, you know, I think it's 186, what is it, 282, 
thousand. I mean, it's uh, that's the speed of light per second. Um, that that's how fast light travels. And Albert Einstein just theorized that the theme of that the speed of light is a constant constant thing. I'm not going to go all into all that, okay? But I'll say this. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, I'll tell you something about light. Light doesn't change is the point that I'm trying to make. Light doesn't change. Um, it's, it's constant. The Bible says in Malachi chapter, chapter 3, verse 6, the Lord said, I am the Lord, I change not. James chapter 1, verse 17 says that, uh, that every good and every perfect gift cometh from above, cometh down from the Father of lights, and the Bible says, in whom there is no variable, variableness. No variableness, which is just simply to say, no change. Amen? God does, aren't you glad God doesn't change? Because here's the thing. Uh, he couldn't change for the better. There's some people that could, there's, we could all change for the better. God couldn't change for the better. And He certainly can't change for the worse. He is perfect all the time. Therefore, He is constant. He doesn't change. Therefore, we're not consumed. Amen. I'm trying to think of uh, Lamentations 3 right now. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. It talks about His compassions, His grace, His help being new every morning. Because He doesn't change. He is constant. Light is constant. Our God is constant. He does not change. Jesus is our constant in the spiritual realm. The sun will not shine for all eternity, folks. Its energy is slowly being used up. Even the sun will one day cease to shine. But the light of Jesus will illumine a heaven throughout all eternity. And by the way, uh, to the extent, in the book of Revelation, chapter number 21, Revelation 21, verse 23, the Bible says, and the city, now this is after the, the reign of Christ on earth, uh, that we were speaking of earlier. Uh, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did illumine it, and the Lamb of uh, God uh, is, or the Lamb, I'm sorry, is the light thereof. Jesus is going to be the light of the heavenly city one day. He, his light is brilliant. And His light far outshines and exceeds the sun. And so, the light, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a constant light. But here's a really cool thing. The victory of that light. The Bible says, The light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, uh, this was really interesting as I studied this. Uh, comprehended. When you think of the word comprehended, what do you think of? Understanding, okay? Um, what's another way to say you understand something? Grasp it. I, that, that, that's exactly the word I was looking for. Grasping it. It's like you have control over it. Uh, when, you, when you comprehend something, you get it. You grasp it. You kind of have control of it in a sense. All right? And, and I'm saying that because to show you that it's a good word here in this verse. But I'm also just going to say this is another one of those words that we don't always use the same anymore. Comprehend to us always means the same thing generally, that we get it. We understand it. We, we, we grasp it. But, but the, the, the English in the Bible sometimes goes deeper than the, than, than the vaguer meaning that we use today. And to comprehend, to grasp, had more of an idea to control. So when the Bible says the darkness doesn't comprehend it, it's saying that the, that the darkness isn't grasping and controlling it. It's, it's saying in a sense that darkness couldn't stop it. The darkness couldn't stop it. The darkness couldn't control it. The darkness comprehended it not. That's the idea here. So when you think about it in that way, this passage is referring to the victory of the light. Does anybody remember what Satan's name was before it was Satan? Lucifer. Anybody remember what the, what the name Lucifer means? Light bearer, 
and called therefore the sun of the morning, uh, which if you think about the sun coming up in the morning, but it but actually means light bearer. But Lucifer chose darkness rather than light. He turned against God and sinned against light. So now Satan is no longer the light bearer. Satan is now the father of night. He's the father of darkness. And the Bible even calls his kingdom the kingdom of darkness. I believe they're in the book of Colossians. But the Bible says that he is the father of the night. There is a dark, devilish darkness that is at battle with the light today. Um, I'll say that again. There is a dark, there, there is a terrible darkness that's battling the light today. Amen? Can you see it? Is there a darkness that's battling light? There, there truly is. God wants His light, His truth, and remember, therefore, His life to go to all men. But the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies, and he wants to keep people in darkness. Have you ever seen a day when people don't want knowledge the way they don't want knowledge today? People claim to want knowledge, but it's only the knowledge that, that, that agrees with something they've already predetermined that they want. Men turn from knowledge today. People are turning from light. Um, but God's light still shines. But i got good news for you. The good news is this. Darkness has no power against light. Darkness is no power for the light. I mean, you think about it today. When we walked into uh, this church today, uh, it was darker. It's going to be darker in here later. But if you don't want, if you don't want it to be dark in here, you know what you got to do. What do you got to do? Vacuum the light out, right? Shovel the light out or the darkness out. No, you don't do any of that. You just simply bring in the light. And the darkness, as soon as the light, the darkness runs and hides. And I see it trying to hide under the chairs here and there. I see it trying to hide in some corners. And in, but the thing is, the darkness has to go. Light. And I'm telling you, folks, that's why I believe one of the greatest things that we can do as God's people in these last times is keep on holding forth and being the light. Amen. Holding forth the word of life, being the light of the world, the light of uh, the darkness has no power against the light of God. Um, man, you think about the power of darkness. I... Uh, I can't remember the number I heard on this. It's in Adrian Rogers' message. But, but I believe he said it was uh, that every second on the sun, and Kirk could help me with some of these things too probably, but every second uh, there is equal to about 400,000 nuclear explosions on the sun every second. Which means like every second on the sun there's more energy that's been used by man since man's been using energy. Every second. I mean, you think about the power of the sun, the power of that light uh, that comes from the sun. Man, darkness has no power against the light. Benjamin Franklin, while living in Philadelphia, he was trying to get his neighbors and people around Philadelphia to get interested in putting lights out in the darkness. Crime had begun to increase in the streets of Philadelphia. Not to mention the, the other factors of being in the darkness. There's other hazards. And so he tried to encourage people, hey, I think what we should start doing is just putting out lamps on our houses in the city at night. Maybe just out on the, cor uh, the corner of our property. And nobody really saw the need with him. He was telling people to put this out. Then finally he said, I guess I know what I'll do. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to put a, put a rod out there and I'm going to put a lantern and I'm going to put a light in there every night. And when people from all around could see at night that light shining in the darkness. And so it started inspiring more people to start putting out lights themselves. And pretty soon Philadelphia became the first city to be lit at night. The, sea, the, the streets were safer 
the streets were more illuminated. And every day, uh, Benjamin Franklin would be sure to go out and make sure, or send someone out to make sure that the, that the lantern was all clear and, and cleaned up so that every night the light could be burning. And folks, it's one thing to get up and try to tell people, hey, you need to be letting your light shine. But what we need to do is we need to let our light shine ourselves. We need to make sure that we're keeping the, the, the globe clean, amen? The glass clean so that the light can shine from within us. Remember, we have no light of our own, but like the moon, we reflect the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to release the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and to bear witness of that light. Uh, another cool thing about light, and there's a lot of cool things, but another way Jesus is the light is the way that light is vital. We read just a moment ago in John chapter 1, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now we know that light and life are intrinsically interwoven. You can't have life without light. When God brought life out of the chaos in creation, He said, let there be light in Genesis 1-3. And the seas began to swarm with life. The seeds of the earth began to bud and blossom. And so with photosynthesis, life came about. Photo meaning light and synthesis meaning put together. So the idea of photosynthesis is the process by which growing things are put together with light. Light causes plants to produce chlorophyll. If you take the sunlight away from this world, then our world would become cold, dark, and eventually dead. The light shines. The light shines and the light brings life. Jesus brings life. Jesus produces things when the light of His glory comes into your life. You know, just a moment ago, to go back and mention about the, the, the power, how that darkness has no power against the light. You know, the sun's always shining, isn't it? So the, so, so the sun can be obscured, but the sun can never be, the light of the sun can never be done away with. And people may obscure, try to obscure the light, but the light is still there. But by the grace of God, when that light shines through, there becomes light. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 130, the entrance of your words give light. Everywhere that Jesus went during His earthly ministry, He brought life. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I remember in Bible college, I, I say this every once in a while, but it was, one of, it was just a little favorite moment of mine in Bible college when we, were, we, were, uh, we had a class on pastoral administration, and basically uh, each, uh, each class would be a different aspect of pastoring, you know, a different aspect of uh, ministry. And we had one that, I remember we had the class that was on how to perform a funeral, how to perform a funeral. See, because generally speaking, we would go try to find examples of when Jesus did something and, and learn examples from Jesus on how to do something in relation to pastoring. But I remember as soon as we started that class, they said, today we're going to learn about how to perform a funeral, but we cannot go to Jesus for an example this week. Because whenever Jesus went to a funeral, man, He just always monkeyed everything up. Because anytime he went to a funeral, he ended up raising the person from the dead. Amen? Because anywhere he went, Jesus brings life. And I'm glad Jesus still... Man, I just got to stop and say hallelujah. Jesus still brings life. Do you remember when His light shined into your life? And if you don't know that Jesus' light has yet shined into your life, man, let His light shine in. Let His truth come in. Don't deny the light. Don't, don't resist the light. Hey, has, any, has anybody ever uh, had light shine on something they didn't particularly like? 
What is it with those mirrors uh, you know, or, or the lights at those bathrooms in certain places? I, I, don't, I don't know if everywhere has them, but I know movie theaters always seem to have them. You know the lights I'm talking about? The ones where it looks like you're, that you should be laying in a coffin? Those lights? Those are awful, aren't they? There, there's, in other words, there's sometimes that we may look at some light and, uh, and see some things we don't like. Well, you know what? Let me tell you something. When Jesus first shines the light into your life, you're going to see some things you don't like. Because maybe, we, maybe you have tricked yourself, as mankind does. Mankind likes to trick themselves into saying that they are right and good enough in the sight of God. Jesus' light comes in, and we look in the mirror, and all of a sudden we say, well, wait a second, I've got that pride. I'll say that to some of the religious people, you know. Because the religious people have their pride. Well, I've been this all my life. I've been, you know, a Baptist or a Lutheran. I, that, that's, and I, my whole family, we've all been baptized. And we, oh, wow. Isn't heaven just cheering for you today? But then, but then the light comes in and says, yeah, but that's, is, am I just rejoicing in my pride? Because the Bible says there's one thing that we can boast in today. We can boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we have to boast in. And if you're boasting in anything else, you really need to check your heart and you need to check your, check, see, see where you're at today. All we have to boast in is Christ and what He did for us. Not our church, not ourselves, not our families. But His light may shine on our sin. His light may shine on our rebellion. And, and listen, when His light shines on that, it's not to rub our faces in it. It's to, it's to show us something that's causing death in our lives. Death, folks, is separation, by the way. Separation. Separation from God. Separation from our family. Separation from life. Separation from joy. Death. But He shines that so that we can then bring it to Him and say, Lord, I want You to cleanse me from this sin. I want to confess this sin to You. I'm not good enough, Lord, and I want to confess that to You right now. My religion is not good enough, Lord, and I want to confess that to You right now. Jesus, only You and what You accomplished on the cross is good enough. So when the light first turns on, you may not like what it first reveals. But don't turn it off because the answer to your life is in that light. And you can go on in darkness, but if you go on in darkness, you're going on in death. But Jesus brings light everywhere He goes. I wish I could say something about the, uh, the glory of the light. The Bible says we beheld His glory. Hey, I can. i got three minutes. Uh, the glory of that light. We, we beheld His glory. The glory is the, of the only begotten of the Father. Um... You know, you think about light. Light, light. You know, light's a cool thing when it comes to glory, isn't it? In other words, light, light reveals things. You, you think about light, in other words, there's a, a, in, in the prism of light, I'm not going to be able to say this all just right, but how many colors are there in, the, in, in light? All of them. I like that, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, it, it's, it's seven basic colors, but they go into the prism, and when they come out, they come out as one pure light. Uh, by the way, I meant to mention this, but now I'm going to... Uh, you know, end up, uh, I'll end up running out of time, maybe not say it in the service. I think I will say it in the service, though, but pay attention to these Christmas songs, how much it talks about light, by the way, for now on. But, uh, but, but, but one pure light, one white light comes out. Now, here's another interesting thing. Color. Isn't color a, a crazy thing? What color is my suit today? We would say blue. But really, my suit isn't blue. My suit reflects blue. When the light hits my suit, when light hits something, it's the way that the light reflects off of something, or the way it absorbs. If we turn out these lights today in here, it's not that you can't tell that my suit is blue. It's, it's a crazy thing, but here's what I'm just trying to say. Light shines on stuff, and you can see colors. You can see beauty. And here's what I want to say about the glory of God. Man, hallelujah. Do you remember when the light shined into your life? Man, I'm telling you, I started seeing things I'd never seen before. You know, when things are dark in your house, you can't tell what, what color the flowers are. Number one, you can't even tell where stuff is at. 
Anybody ever move their furniture? I, I, I get up a lot of times early in the morning when it's dark still. And since the family's around, you know, I try not to turn, off, I try not to turn all the lights on because I don't want to wake everybody up or something, you know. And so, uh, and so I'm going around the house, and, but we move the furniture around. And at one time we had this one thing there. And so here I am walking around something that's not even there, but then I end up running into the chair that we moved over there. Anybody ever do stuff like that? You run into stuff. You don't see stuff. But when you turn the light on, you see the colors. I mean, listen, uh, uh, nobody does much botanical garden, uh, you know, walking at midnight. That's not as pretty. But in the light, here's what I'm just simply trying to say. Man, when the light shined in my life, things started looking different. I started seeing things. I started seeing colors. I started seeing beauty. I want to tell you something. I know the birds didn't sing differently the day I got saved, but it sure seemed like it, man. I can still remember, Danny, after I got saved and before I'd go off to school, Ralph, I would, I would kneel down beside my, my little military cot was what my bed was in my, my little room in our little house. And, but, I, but I would kneel down beside that little cot and I would begin to pray and I would start hearing those birds that singing outside. And I'm telling you, there was a different color shined on those birds because I realized those birds were singing a song to the one I was praying to. Amen? I'd walk outside and I'd look up at that sun and that blue sky and I'd be like, man, I, I, I see that now. I know the one. See, colors on it now. I, I see it for something. My Creator is the one that made that. I know Him! Amen? I mean, listen. I'll close with this profound theological thought. If Buddy the Elf can get excited about knowing Santa Claus. If you know that movie, you'll know that part. That's when he's like, I know him! I know him! Well, that's, that's the way I felt, man. When I, that's the way I feel when I look up at the stars and behold the beauty. In other words, when, if you let the light come into your life, you start seeing. It's not darkness anymore. It's not darkness anymore. It's light. And it's light. And you can say, I know Him. I know Him. I know the Creator. I know the One who made all this. So I hope today, I hope that you will receive the light of Jesus Christ into your heart and life today. And if you have received the light of Jesus Christ into your life today, man, I hope you'll tell somebody else about Him. Amen. I hope you'll rejoice in it. And uh, praise God. All right, so... Uh, your assignment for the rest of the Christmas season is listen to how often you hear the terminology light and life in the Christmas carols because that is one of the big themes of Christmas. Amen. Uh, all right, you're dismissed. Thank you for coming. Uh, make our guest welcome. Uh, uh, we'll get our greeting team for those.